0: Welcome to TESO Consulting Group's DEI podcast series, Why Is It So Hard? Shining Through the Shadow of Resistance. I'm Dr. Tanya Breeland, and I am Erica Leek. Welcome back. I am Dr. Tanya
1: Breeland. And I'm Erica Leek. And this is our podcast, Why Is It So Hard? Shining Through the Shadows of Resistance. And in this podcast, as many of you will remember who are returning, we discuss issues that prevent us from being socially just as a society and also free. That's free for everyone, right? And so our goal is to disrupt the status quo of racial um, inequality and inequity in systems. And each episode challenges us, but we also want to challenge you to be the change that we want to see in this world. And we are beginning our DEI Back to School series. So this is part one, this yeah. is episode one
0: so of that tag series. Tag an educator. Just, you know, repost this and tag any educator or all educators that you know, because this episode and the next four episodes are for you. So
1: today's episode, part one, is about managing the
0: cultural mismatch. Yes, it is. And I bet you're wondering, (laughs) what do we mean by this cultural cultural mismatch? mismatch. Yeah. Yeah, so we're talking about what it looks like in most schools across the country, believe it or not. Eighty percent, more than 80 percent of teachers in classrooms across this entire country are white teachers, the majority of whom are white women, while only 20 percent of the teaching force is um, Mm -hmm. teachers of color. Mm -hmm. And so
1: the student body, however, has become a lot more diversified, mm-hmm. um, particularly in the last few years. So more than half of our country's student population um, being is over 50% students of color. Right. So really we're talking about the majority of students now nationally are students of color. Mm-hmm. And so you can see how this might be a mismatch right. in terms of culture. So we have a predominantly white teaching force but now we have a predominantly um, student population of color. Right, so why is that important?
0: So it's important to really know that that is in existence because um, teachers may find that they're clashing with their students um, in areas or spaces where maybe in the past they didn't have those clashes Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because the students looked more like them. Um, and so with students who are becoming more and more increase, you know, increasingly um, diverse, coming from different ethnic backgrounds, um, that means that teachers may not necessarily um, know or understand some of the cultural reference points that students bring into the classroom. Yeah, yeah. I think that's really important because,
1: you know, culture dictates so much of the way that we think. Um, sort of the the frameworks that we sure. think from, right? We talked before about collectivism versus individualism, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. so imagine being a student that comes from a cultural background where it is all about the collective, it's right. all about the group, but you're, you know, as a teacher, you're teaching this student, um, but you come from a background where it's about the individual, mm-hmm. right? So. Um, That can be a real clash in terms of practice, thinking, problem solving. Mm -hmm. That could be a real clash. And so um, that's just one example. But when we think about that cultural mismatch, there really can be this kind of misalignment Mm -hmm. between sort of just ways of being. And that really very often comes down to, to culture. Right, right.
0: And I have to just like pause for a second just to remind people that there is like, no culture is a monolith. Mm -hmm. We've said this before in other episodes, and we've got to say it again, especially with this conversation, Mm -hmm. because you might think as a teacher, well, I've, you know, I've worked with black students before. I've worked with Latino students before, and I have worked with Asian students and you may in your mind think that all the black kids are similar. Mm -hmm. All the Asian kids Mm -hmm, are similar. mm -hmm. All the, you know, Mm -hmm. um, Latino kids are similar, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And the truth is, they may have some similarities, but they ultimately are not the same. And we cannot make assumptions about our students just because we may have worked with one group or another in the past. And, you know, just kind of a a funny um, situation. So, you know, there's a game um, that is um, unique to black culture and it has like different phrases mm-hmm. and comments. Mm-hmm. And so um, I remember playing that game with our, our family, you know, during the holidays. And um, it's funny because, you know, it was our, fam- like our family and kind of some of our extended family. And so the young people seem to know all of the like, phrases mm-hmm. That, mm-hmm. Um, that, you know, were common in, in black culture. And there were some phrases that I had no clue about there were phrases that my husband had mm-hmm. n- even less of a, cl- of a clue about, and he's a horrible game player. Um, and one <laughs> day he'll watch this, watch this episode, and he will laugh because it's true. He's a poor loser. He's mm-hmm. very competitive, and so he like my mother never said those things, you know. And so he's like upset because he can't guess mm-hmm, the phrases, mm-hmm. and and so you know we're laughing, and it's it's hilarious. But the truth is, even in our own sure. family. Sure. We realize that and we're all black. Yeah. We realize that we don't all have the same cultural reference points. That's right. And like for him, he got very frustrated because he's a poor loser. But for the rest of us, we just laughed it off and like, oh really? You say that? That mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. kids say that or people <laughs> say that? Mm-hmm. You know, so that was even a lesson in and of itself that when we think about culture, even among our own, we can all be sitting around the table and all be of the same racial background, and yet have different cultural reference points that we bring to the conversation, to the table. And so I say that because I think educators need to, to understand and give yourself grace mm-hmm. in understanding that you may not know about all of your students yeah. and what they bring into the classroom. Yeah. But the idea here is there's an opportunity for us to learn and to create some connection mm-hmm. with all of our students. And that usually starts with relationships.
1: Yeah, I think that's that's what it comes down to that that relationship and really getting to know your students. Right. So wanting to get to know them and getting to know them right. and understanding that, um, like you said, within the group there are there is as much individuality mm-hmm. amongst a cultural group um, as there is in the groups that you are in. Mm-hmm. Right. So we sort of and I think what that means is we just see the humanity in, in 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 people. And that human tapestry means that there's so many differences, right? Absolutely. And so as a teacher, I think part of sort of managing that cultural mismatch, like you said, put aside those assumptions, mm-hmm. right? Put aside those assumptions. And I, I will say that there are a few different ways that you can tell whether or not as a teacher, you are addressing that, or, you know, successfully, I think, managing that cultural mismatch. You know, if you see a disproportion, if there's disproportionality in your outcomes, like let's say you have a diverse group of students. Um, I worked in a a really wonderfully diverse um, district, and, you know, it, it was important to me to look at, the outcomes that different groups. So how are my black girls doing? How are my white girls doing? How are my white boys doing? How are my Asian girls doing? Like all of those groups doing um, in proportion to each other. That was really important to me. So just take a look at that. Um, Take a look at think about how you did last year in terms of discipline and academic outcomes and even social outcomes. Mm -hmm. You know, to what extent do you have them actually working together, right? It's really important that these diverse groups of kids get to work with each other. Mm -hmm. I think that's Mm -hmm. a part of our role as educators, making sure that they understand how to work together. But I think that's the first place to start with, like, what has been my track record in this this area? That's good. Yeah, and Mm -hmm. I think in doing that, like, so how will you develop relationships with your kids? What kinds of things will you do to get to know your kids? It was really important to me um, to know those things. So mm-hmm. for instance, if I had a kid, it, it never failed. Every year I had a kid that um, loved, you know, superheroes and Marvel or DC or, you know, they just, lo- and, and I really use that in the relationship to grow the relationship with mm-hmm. the kid. Mm-hmm. And, and so whatever that area was, I kind of use that that knowledge about them and develop deeper relationships with them. And it really helped me in my instruction. Mm-hmm. I think that's, that might be a really good place to start, to think about where are you are
0: gonna begin to develop those relationships. And those relationships are lifelong relationships. Yeah. They really have an impact on students. Yes. Years later, yes. I, I was just sharing with you how um, one of my former fourth grade students reached out to me. And this student is probably 27, 28 years old um, now. So I would have had her when she was nine. Mm-hmm. So she reaches out to me on social media and we connect or whatever and she's a white student and oh she, I mean she's, she, she's not a student now, but she was a student mm-hmm. you know back then. And you know she was sharing um, she's like, I still talk about you. And so I'm like, you know, oh, that's so great. You had such a great experience in fourth grade and what have you. And she's like, no, it's not about fourth grade it's because you're my favorite teacher. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, wow, that is really that's amazing. I was I was just my yeah. heart was so full. Mm-hmm. And this was just yesterday mm-hmm. that I that I got that message. And, you know, and I thought about that and I thought about what we talk about all the time. It's about relationships. Yeah. So ethnically, racially, she and I are not the same, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. yet The relationship that i had with her and i remember her she was a good kid um you know and i don't remember every single student i Mm -hmm. had but some of them Mm -hmm. stood out and she was one that stood out i loved her personality Mm -hmm. and you know the fact that she today still talks about the impact that i had Mm -hmm. on her because of the relationship that i developed Mm -hmm. with her and and probably several of her classmates Mm -hmm. um it really had a long-term impact on her all these years later we're Mm -hmm. talking almost almost 20 years later, you know, that she can still remember and talk about one of her favorite teachers and not her favorite teacher. Mm -hmm. And it's a black woman, you know, like that was powerful to me. That's amazing. That's awesome. Yeah. And so I think that's so wonderful and congrats on
1: that. Right. So it's always so wonderful when you, you know, years later, you hear from a kid and you know, they are able to, um, just, talk about how important you were to them right like that right. means something it does. so congrats it does. on that thank That's you that sounds yeah.
0: awesome but that relationship yes. you know it goes it goes back we have yeah. you've heard us say it so many times mm-hmm. it's so critical for teachers to develop authentic positive relationships yes. with mm-hmm. their students yeah because it makes a difference it, it matters to them in it what does. they do yep. when our son who is now a performer um, when he was in second grade, his white male teacher came to see him perform in the community. He—it was after school hours. It, he was not on the clock. He was not um, obligated in any way. But my son said, "Hey, I'm singing for like the township." It was mm-hmm. like the, the town's like imitation of like American Idol. Okay. And he's like, "I'm singing in the township's you know Idol show or whatever," and invited him. I, you know, I didn't. I didn't think anything of it, but he shows up. And I wonder how validating was that for my mm. son at was second grade, seven years, seven seven, years old? Seven. At seven years old, yeah. you know, that his teacher says, it's important to me to be here for something that's important to you. Yeah. And he's there. And I wonder how much of that impacted my son saying, I definitely want to do this mm-hmm. because it validated part of who he is yeah. as, you know, and who he has grown up to be as a young man.
1: Yeah, I think it just says to kids, like, I see you,
0: and I really value what you bring. I Mm -hmm. really value your talents
1: and your gifts and your interests, and I'll support you in that. And I think that that means something. Mm -hmm. Um, But I also think, you know, sort of like, so, so once we've, you know, you develop those relationships, I also think it's important because I think that's a really good example of kind of going to the community where kids are. Right. Right. And so. Uh, that's really important. So it's really important for that teacher to kind of go into Daniel's environment, right? right? Like that was, that's really important. And that means something. And, you know, in spaces where you have like 100 kids, I mean, it's probably not always possible. But I know that As a a teacher, it was important when I showed up to games for kids, right? I just stayed after school. I was a high school teacher, so I was able to see kids play or cheer or whatever it is that they were doing. That was important. It was Mm -hmm. important to come back and go to those concerts to just watch them in that. But it was more important to them, I think, when I actually went into the spaces where they lived and I went to their churches or, you know, those kinds of civic groups that they were a part of and engaged in, whatever it is that they were um, performing or, 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 um, or just being participating in. Mm-hmm. But I think even in spaces where, you know, maybe it doesn't involve kids, I think when you realize that you have a cultural group that you may not be all that familiar with, I think find uh, seek out opportunities to be a part of, you know, whatever the expression or a celebration is. So go to a festival, go to a Caribbean festival if you know that you have, you know, large numbers of kids that are, you know, from one of the um, Caribbean cultures. Um, you know, go to African American, you know, um, festivals or or those kinds of things, or like so that you can really sort of like immerse yourself in the culture. I agree. I think that's a really good way And there's a, um, a, a concept called cultural humility. And what that means is that you understand that there is another culture different from yours that has as much to offer as, any, as your culture, mm-hmm. and you're willing to learn about it. Mm-hmm. And through learning about it, you immerse yourself in mm-hmm. it. And so those kinds of opportunities are really important because it does give you some insight into um, the way that students that come from, as we said earlier, no culture is a monolith, No race is a monolith, but it does give you some insight into um, some of the patterns that you might be seeing mm-hmm. or some of the experiences
0: that you might be having that you may not quite understand. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And you know, when I think about this this whole piece of managing the cultural mismatch, um, we we can't um, avoid something that's probably most uncomfortable for educators. And that's the topic of being willing to confront, your biases. Sure. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's very much a part of a culturally responsive educator, mm-hmm. is saying, okay, I need to understand what my biases are towards groups of people. Mm-hmm. And some of that comes from learning about your own culture and the reference points. So maybe you can kind of explain when we talk about um, reference points. You know, understanding your own cultural reference points and your students' cultural reference sure. points and what it is that makes you different from them and, you know, or, or them different from you.
1: Yeah. So culture (laughs) dictates the way that we operate, the way that we think about things, the way that we express certain concepts. So um, take for instance, a concept like respect. Sure. Right. So respect looks different in different cultures. Okay. So, Um, I, one of the things I talk about in my training is that when I was growing up, um, when you were talking to, I'll just use my parents as an example. So when I was talking to them, I couldn't have my arms folded. Like that was a sign of disrespect. So, and there were times when I would talk to my mom. Like I couldn't even really get out whatever it is I was talking to without, without whatever it is I was going to say without her saying Un, uncross your arms, mm-hmm. right? Because you could not, like that was a sign of disrespect. My brothers couldn't have their hands in their pockets when they were talking to my mom or dad because there were these really outward shows of respect, mm-hmm. right? And so when I became a teacher, what I realized is that there were, there were behaviors that I took as disrespectful that my students did not necessarily Mm -hmm. grow up with or they didn't have those same kind of indicators of respect. So if I was talking to a student and they had their arms crossed, it didn't mean that they lacked respect for me, right? So it didn't necessarily mean that, right? right. right? You can't assume that. can't assume that. So what I had to do really was really think about the way that I interacted with my students and, and how I, so I, so what I understood very early on. So one of the, one of the rules, classroom rules that a lot of teachers have at the top of their list is respect everybody, respect everybody and yourself and everything like that. And, and, and that is a good, that concept is good. But I think and when we talk about that cultural mismatch, understand that, culture determines what respect looks like. Right, right.
0: And so I think some cultures, you know, eye contact or or not giving eye contact is considered respectful. That's right. But it's not uncommon that if a student doesn't look at a teacher Mm -hmm. in the eye that the Mm -hmm. teacher Mm -hmm. um, thinks negatively Mm -hmm. of them because Mm -hmm. in, in that teacher's culture, eye contact is really important and is a sign of respect. But in that child's culture eye contact is considered disrespectful i even remember
1: um like growing up if you got into trouble or whatever it was disrespectful to talk back so if you felt like you know well this is why i i did if you were to like defend yourself that was disrespectful don't talk back right that's correct and so so at the same time though and i can remember this like my one of my brothers he was just a, he was just really, really quiet, but we were also sort of taught not to talk back to figures of authority. But then when a teacher wanted a response in terms of like an area of misbehavior and we didn't give it to them, in school that was seen as disrespectful mm-hmm, because we didn't respond or we didn't, you know, sort of inter- engage with the teacher. And that was a really clear sign of a cultural mismatch because at home it was don't talk back, so you're gonna get your lecture or whatever it is that you're gonna get, and then you have no, there, there was nothing that you could say back because that you would get into more trouble. At school though, you were expected to kind of answer for your actions. And so we had to really kind of navigate, right, that, and it was up to the student, which I, which I think is unfair, right? Because I think we need to say to students, there are these different cultural contexts that you will be expected to, to, to navigate and mm-hmm. to operate in. And we're going to teach you to be bicultural. We understand that this is um, a, 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 an expectation in this context, mm-hmm. but, we al- but we also want you to understand that this is an expectation in this context. And so I think sort of really teaching them that bicultural, that concept of being bicultural,
0: I think is, is really important. So important. So important. So important. No, these, these are really good examples that you were, that you were providing that can really speak to like where there may be a clash yeah. for students. Yeah. Um, and communication is another big one. Yes. You know, you know, another big area where, um, you know, the way that you speak, um uh, it's not uncommon for teachers to make assumptions about certain groups of students being loud. And Mm -hmm. it could be that it's not that those students Mm -hmm. are being loud, Mm -hmm. it could be that is just a part of their culture, Mm -hmm. that they are, that they come across, you know, with a certain level of Mm -hmm. volume, that you Mm -hmm. speak up when Mm -hmm. you're spoken to, Mm -hmm. and what have you. And, And unless that teacher takes the time to really understand what's different in each student's culture yes then that student and that teacher will clash yes you know from yes. time to time yes um and it, and it may not even be that the student is doing something negative or doing something bad mm-hmm. it's just there's an assumption that's being made about that student that's an unfair assumption yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah because that teacher doesn't recognize that here is where my culture says one thing but that student's culture may say something entirely yes. different about how to respond and how to communicate in certain situations. I think
1: that's so mm-hmm. good. I think that, that that's so good about the messages, like right. whether we kind of realize them or not, or whether we think about them or not. And I think that goes back to not making assumptions. Right. Like in really sort of opening up what that what what these messages are. Right. Um, as teachers, we there's a fair amount of behavior. Mm -hmm. that we really try to um, impose. Mm -hmm. And I think really thinking about like what that means. Right. um, And what messages, the behavior that the behaviors that you choose to impose, those hills that we die on as teachers.
0: Right. Like this is not necessary. It's not necessary. Right. Um, And we and, and I have to say, and just interject for a second, we hear in in the field teachers complaining about students behaviors being worse or different you know even post pandemic Um, and and I think that there's an opportunity for teachers at this point to really be able to say let me develop the kind of relationships that I can understand some of the behaviors that we're seeing that I might be misjudging, sure, you know, or, or miscalculating what's going on with students. Yeah. Um, but those relationships are what gives me an opportunity to kind of dig deeper into what might be going on and what might be behind certain yeah. behaviors. And the behaviors may or may not be cultural, mm-hmm. um, but many times they are. Yeah.
1: Um,
0: or, or based in cultural reference points yep. or just, you know, what, what, a, what one group brings mm-hmm. into an environment versus another group. Um, and that's really I think that's really important, but that's also part of that being willing to confront your biases So, you know students aren't afraid to tell a teacher or to or to identify They, they are very discerning. So they know when the teacher has connected with them. Yes, they do um, and They will demonstrate in many ways when they are not connected to their teachers. Yes. And so that's where we might begin to see acting out behavior because students who are connected to their teachers do have less negative behaviors in the classroom, period. Yeah. I,
1: I think that's really important. And I think if you if you think of yourself as, um, as an educator, as a student, as studying your students, mm-hmm. then one of the things you can do is really just sort of track the behaviors, yes. right? And And the the interactions. Track the interactions, because if it's, if you feel like there's sort of like overwhelmingly negative, you know, behaviors, or if you're worried about it, or if you, if you have concerns about it, you know, um, just track them and try to track them objectively. So Mm -hmm. we had this interaction what happened, what did you say, what did the student say, and really try to um, do that over a few weeks. This is one of the suggestions, I think it's in Zaretta Hammond's um, Culture Responsive Teaching in the Brain. And I think that kind of gives you kind of a nice, gives you some data,
0: yes. really, right.
1: around the nature of interactions that you have with, um, with, with students, with groups of students, um, particularly if, you have, if you've noticed a pattern of negativity when it comes to certain groups, I think that might really kind of give you a really nice starting point, um, and, and start in the beginning of the year. And yeah. I know that there's a lot happening in the beginning of the year, but the truth is, you set the, the tone. Yes, you set the tone because yeah. the way that you begin the year is often the way that you end it, and there's a connection between the start and the finish of the year, That's and correct. very often we end the years as educators, like overwhelmed and we're frustrated and and the school years are long and there's a lot that happens. And I get that as, sure. as an educator, but when we think about, you know, the way that we begin this process of the school year, um, the end has, there are seeds in the beginning. So what are the intentional seeds that you can plant as an educator so that you
0: have the
1: outcomes Mm -hmm. you know those Mm -hmm.
0: desirable outcomes amongst all your groups. And I think one of the intentional another intentional seed that needs to be planted in the classroom really is centered around open dialogue Mm -hmm. about race and ethnicity. Mm -hmm. So I know we live in a in a polarized country right now society but as an educator you owe it to your students, to your diverse groups of students to really have open conversation about race and culture and ethnicity and understanding one another and um, creating this environment where students feel like, you know, it's okay to have a perspective about something. It's okay to not know something. You know, the younger your students are and the older they are, there are opportunities for you to create intentional moments of dialogue. Yes. You know, it could be centered around a text, you know, that you're reading and what students notice about a text and the stu- and the characters in that text and that then can span some sure. conversations. Sure. It could be centered around articles, mm-hmm. you know, that might be um, creating... Conver- that can, where you can create conversations yes. about racial groups or ethnic groups. I think that's really good.
1: I think a text is a great place to start.
0: Um, Some of you may
1: have actually started these conversations, you know, previously. So we'd love for you to respond with different things that worked really well for you. Mm -hmm. Um, And we invite you to continue listening to this series because our next episode, will really dig deeper into um, one of the social justice standards from learningforjustice.org, right? Yes. And they have a really great, kind of um repository of resources for teachers if you're not quite comfortable mm-hmm. with having those open dialogues that are really necessary for our right. kids. Right. And so um, so if you would just you know, comment, let us know how you engage in these conversations with your with your uh, with your students, how you plan to, what kinds of resources you plan to use. And also we invite you to continue
0: to continue listening. Absolutely. Yeah. We love when you come and listen to us and when you share with folks. So feel free to share this po- podcast episode as well as any of our other episodes with people that you know, and let us know your thoughts. Thank you again for joining us again i'm tanya and i'm erica and thank you so much for joining us today